Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. up for Zeb, fighting through that technical difficulty. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Zeb. Amen. Word of the Lord. Amen. I want to read to you guys one more passage uh, from the Gospel uh, of Matthew, or Mark. Um, Mark 10, starting in verse 2, it says, Then some Pharisees came, and to test him, They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses prevented a man to write a certain certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, he wrote this commandment for you because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning of creation, he made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate In the house, once again, the disciples asked him about this. So he told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The verse 13 goes on to say, now people were bringing little children to him for him to to lay his hands on them, right? To pray for them. But the disciples scolded those who brought them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not try to stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. After he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Amen. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Glory to you, Lord Christ. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Can we pray this prayer today? We offer you to kind of get our thoughts together before we uh, jump into summarizing these uh, prayers together. Um, Aiden, can you put that colic for the day up, um, my man? I want us to pray this together today as we, uh, as we do that. Um, amen. Can we pray this? God, we recognize that this is your church. So we ask that you keep us focused on you. May you guide us in all circumstances so that we can rightfully serve you to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 So I want to talk to you guys this morning for a few moments about the Lord of the Harvest. Yeah. Um, Aiden, you can turn the music down for right now. We'll, we'll turn it back up when I get to the center here. Um, I want to talk to you guys for a few moments about um, the Lord of the Harvest. And as we think about that today, I want us to kind of keep our minds going again because we're in October. We started last week talking about the harvest and, and how the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the harvest feasts. And we want to continue about this concept of harvest today and I felt like these passages that we read today were powerful because they connected uh, two connected and then uh, two connected and so out of the four verses you see a continuation of one into the other uh, and you see a beautiful imagery and a revelation of what uh, the true nature of that text was trying to say Um, and so we're going to look at that today but in that we want to also understand uh, and go through a few items um, that might seem to be a side road 
or like uh, you're taking a rabbit trail. Um, but we think it's important for us to break down some of these truths uh, as we're going through evidence in the Bible of what God has revealed to us and to look at it in a proper way. And so we're going to take some time in between this message and do a little study on the differences between systematic theology and biblical theology um, and why that matters for us today um, in differentiating between the two when we study the Bible. Both are necessary, both are important, uh, but both have their place and we need to recognize uh, the value in differentiating between the two. And so we'll look at those uh, as we get into this. But to think about the harvest, I believe these passages show us three areas where the Lord cares and is concerned and wants to minister. And so you may not uh, fulfill all of these categories, but you fulfill one of these categories. Uh, and so you may fill all of them, but you definitely, uh, everybody, this can apply to you in some way, because all of us represent one of these categories in some, some way, shape, or form. And so as we look at the harvest today in regard to what the Lord has been revealing in His Word, what He desires, what His purpose and plan is, it includes humanity, marriage, and children. Humanity, marriage, and children. Humanity, marriage, and children. Now we're going to break down what that looks like because humanity comprises male and female, right? So all of us are wrapped up in that category. God may have led you or called you into uh, to marriage. And so if you have or, or you are married today, uh, this connection that we're going to reveal in God's Word is going, to, is going to speak to you. And if you are a child uh, or have children, uh, you are going to understand God's heart for you today uh, and what He desires uh, for those who is, He's put in your life to, to speak to you. And so I want us to think about that with the object and the idea in our minds um, of where the source of all of this harvest comes from. The source for humanity, the source for marriage, the, the, the source for uh, the, the, the health and safety of our children. All of these things, the, them growing up and understanding the truth, all of this comes from Jesus. That's the number one point that we need to understand this morning, that Jesus is the source. He's the source of everything. Jesus is the source of uh, what makes us as humans live in the way that we are called to live, that we were created to live. It gives us uh, the source of, of how our unions and our covenants together um, image Him in a beautiful way. It gives us understanding as to, to how our children and those that we have been entrusted with, right? Jesus had no children, but those that came to Him, He knew that He had to welcome them and He had to love them and He had to nurture them and He was teaching His disciples something in doing this. And so these realities are important for us. And so we're going to just take some time and we're going to break down these passages of Scripture that uh, Tim and Zeb read this morning along with myself. And, uh, and we want to, to understand what God is saying to us. And so before we jump much further into this, there's something I want you guys to hold on in your mind, okay? When we read the Bible, we have to know that the Bible is God's self-revelation to His people, right? Particularly the Old Testament, right? The New Testament is where we see that fullness coming in the form of Jesus, right? But in the Old Testament, it is God's self-revelation to His people. And so when you read even the historical accounts in the Old Testament, we can't look at them as, as history as we would look at history. We, we should look at them as historical in the fact that they are referencing events that happened. 
But we need to also look at them as it is a narration of God revealing Himself to His people. And so everything is crafted that way in a very important way. And so that's important when we think about this this aspect of um, understanding the Bible. Because as we break down these verses, we're going to maybe challenge some of our, our understanding of these, these verses. And we're gonna, it'll give us a good segue into the systematic biblical approach to understanding theology. And so Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. Now that word companion is the Hebrew word ezer. And we're going to break down that word in a moment here. Now traditionally that phrase is uh, translated as helper. Right? And it'll say that uh, the Lord God said it was not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Right, uh, And oftentimes we read that uh, in a systematic way. We would say, you know what God did for me? He gave me somebody to wash my dishes and make me dinner and make sure that everything is cleaned up by the time I get home or else I'm going to, to, to well, I mean, maybe that was, that was a fear sometimes in, in different cultures, right? But the real, the real essence of Ezer, as we'll look at here in a moment, is, is more than just uh, a helper, because helper has so many different connotations, right? And then the term for correspond, uh, neged, uh, gives us an important understanding uh, of what it means, right? So let's just take a few moments. Let's go to that next slide, Aiden, and let's just break down um, traditionally helper, right? So traditionally helper is that translation, but because it has so many different ideas and, and connotations, it doesn't accurately convey the connotation of the Hebrew word azer, right? And so that's why that word uh, does not suggest a subordinate role, azer doesn't, but it suggests um, something different, right? Because helper is more of a subordinate role, right? You just need somebody to help you alongside, right? Azer is not that way, right? So let's go to the next slide. The next slide reveals to us that in the Bible, God is frequently described as a helper, as Azair, right? The term helper is used, but it's the word Azair. Now, what does Azair mean? It means uh, that is something indispensably, right? Um, that God is our helper, does something that we cannot do for ourselves. He meets our needs, right? That God does something for us as a helper, as the Azair, that we can't do for ourselves. And so the term that's used there for the companion that was going to be uh, given to the man was going to be someone who was going to be able to do for him uh, and, and help him in ways that he could not do for himself. Um, many of you have probably seen men try to find things in their homes, uh, and you realize that, that that is one of the components that God has given uh, to, their, to their wives is that they can help them find things when they can't find them, um, and it can be difficult at times, right? But in a grander scheme of things, it's not of uh, those practical things that we can make jokes about, but the text is revealing to us that when God created man and woman, He created them unique. He created them with an intention. And so as much as He created man in His image, He created woman in His image. And she was the companion that was going to be able to help fill in the gaps that He wasn't going to be able to do. So both of them were important. Both of them had God's image to bear. But their roles and the specifics of their roles were, were, were unique, right? There was no less of a need for the woman as there was for the man. Right? That's different than our society is, is kind of driven today, right? That those types of um, institutions are, are old, right? But the reality of this indispensable companion reality is that the woman would supply what the man lacked in the creation design. And logically it would follow that the man would supply 
what she was lacking. Now, we've talked about marriage in Bible study Wednesday. Dr. Henkel was here from Regent, and he talked about uh, marriage and family. This message is not to, uh, to, to necessarily piggyback. It's to show us what the text was revealing to us and how uh, sin has come in and kind of just tainted a lot of areas of our lives where God hasn't intended for them to, to exist the way that they exist. And so the reality is, is that uh, in a healthy relationship, uh, when humans and, and men and women are living for the Lord, we see uh, an ordering back to the way things were and should be, right? When there are things that don't bring Him glory and honor and He isn't given His authority in our lives, then that, that order begins to get a little muddy, right? So let's look at the word neged, right? Let's go to that next slide, Aiden. So the Hebrew expression for neged literally means according to the opposite of Him, right? So it was saying that this companion that we were going to create for the man was going to be different than him. Right now, I know in our society, sometimes those things are a little controversial, but it, in, in the Bible, when it was written, the, the usage of that word was that that neged was somebody that was different, totally opposite than him. But they made it work, right? They filled in, right? So some translations like suitable for matching corresponding to, right? All that kind of captured the idea, but there are other translations that render it simply as a partner. Um, that's not necessarily totally inaccurate, but it doesn't necessarily reflect the nuances that we see here of the stability, right? So why does all that matter, right? Well, in the context of systematic theology versus biblical theology, oftentimes these matters kind of get wrapped into um, a whole line of things that we just don't see the Bible necessarily prescribing, right? And so, to wrap all this up, let's go to the next slide here. The man's form and nature are matched by the woman's as she reflects him and compliments him. Together, they correspond to one another. So, in short, this prepositional phrase indicates that she has everything that God had invested in him. That they both were imagers of God. They were the royal priests of Eden. They ruled uh, with the command to, to, to be fruitful and multiply. So what is the danger then of a systematic theology versus a biblical theology, right? So let's look at systematic theology versus biblical theology. Systematic theology versus biblical theology. There are six slides that I'm going to quickly try to go through with you so that everybody's on the same page to, as to how these things can creep into some of our thinking. And maybe it'll challenge you a little bit as you study the Bible because that's the point of us understanding the harvest is that God wants us to be the kinds of uh, vessels that he can use and desires to use to go in the world to minister to men and women to, to, to bring healing to those in marriages and to to be the mentors and the leaders and the parents that we need to be for our children this is the the method that we see here playing out in these scriptures and now we'll show you in a moment and we'll get to how it all converges to christ and how he's all the 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 fulfillment of it right so the first thing we see here is the focus right so the focus of systematic theology is that it attempts to organize and present the doctrines of the faith in a logical and systematic order. It addresses theological topics one by one. For example, the nature of God, the nature of humanity, salvation, eschatology, synthesizes the entirety of Scripture's teaching on each topic. Biblical theology is the discipline that focuses on the progressive unfolding of theological themes within the Bible as it moves from Genesis to Revelation. It's concerned with the understanding of the narrative of Scripture 
and developing the theological concepts within that narrative. All right, let's go on to methodology. Next slide here. It says, systematic theology draws from Scripture to form comprehensive doctrines. It often also incorporates philosophical reasoning, historical theology, and tradition. Biblical theology seeks to understand the particular theological perspective of individual biblical books or groups of books and how theological themes develop throughout biblical storylines, right? So they know that each book is individual, and these things are uh, working that way, right? Let's go to the next one, temporal development. Systematic theology typically doesn't focus on chronological development of doctrines, but aims to present a timeless, coherent statement of doctrine, right? Now that can be dangerous sometimes when we read certain passages of the Bible because it's not a timeless, coherent doctrine. It's a very specific thing that was said at a specific time for a specific reason. And if we just look at it systematically, we go, well, we're going to take this and we're going to make a doctrine out of it. But that's not how the Bible was intended to be read. And so we got to understand that sometimes a systematic approach causes us to walk in error. You know? So a biblical theology pays careful attention to the historical and chronological progression of revelation in the Bible, right? God revealing himself through relationship to his people. That's what we see, right? Let's go to the next slide with goals, right? The goals of systematic theology are to provide a comprehensive and organized presentation of Christian beliefs and doctrines. Biblical theology, the goal is to trace the development and interconnectedness of theological themes within the biblical narrative. What are the themes that we see playing out throughout the Old Testament? What are the themes that we see that the, the authors showing us about how God is revealing Himself through relationship to His people, how He is pointing us to Christ, the fulfillment of everything that we see. Right? Let's go to the next slide. Application. Systematic theology, often used in doctrinal formulation, catechesis, and apologetics, right? So we know that uh, as a church, as we've gone through discipleship, we've gone through instructions, we've gone through training, uh, there are things that we formulate uh, and we build doctrine off of things in Scripture, right? We know that creeds and things like that, uh, we've studied them at our church and how important they were for holding the church together uh, even while the canon of Scripture was being connected, right? But we can't, oft, we can't always utilize it that way, right? Biblical theology often used to deepen one's understanding of Scripture's grand narrative and to see how specific texts fit within the broader story of redemption. All right, let's look at the scope of sources. Systematic theology, while based on the Bible, it often integrates external sources like church tradition, historical creeds, philosophical reasoning, and more. Again, we use these. We understand the importance of tradition and understanding why things have been done a certain way. But we have to also recognize that there are, uh, there's nothing more than we should submit to uh, in our understanding of truth than the Bible itself, right? The text itself. What does the text say? That, that's important, right? What does the Bible say? So in the case of Genesis 2, uh, it's not building a, a necessarily a timeless doctrine. What it's saying is, is that when God created male and female, He created the woman to be a companion that was going to fill the gaps for the man. And the man was going to fill the gaps for her. And they were going to be able to work together and do that. We know that sin came in and corrupted all that and changed all that. So what does Jesus do when he comes onto the scene, right? He starts to change things, right? So let's just summarize this last thing, right? Let's go to that next slide, Aiden. 
While biblical theology traces the historical development of theological concepts in the Bible, systematic theology organizes these concepts into a cohesive whole. Both are invaluable tools for understanding and articulating the Christian faith. They're both important, but if you use one without the other, you might, you might get yourself in a little bit of trouble, right? Because somebody could be so on one side where they don't understand that there are truths that we have to build our lives on, right? But then the other side, you can be so connected to, or if you read something, you think that that's a doctrine that's still valid today, right? But it's just not, right? Because if we did that, then we, we, we would be in trouble, right? So we have to understand the context of both, right? When Paul wrote his letters to the churches, why was he writing those epistles? What was he writing them for? Who was he writing them to? What was the reason for saying the things that he said instead of just grabbing them and going, well, this, this, must, be, this must be a timeless truth? That's, that's, not, that's not what the Bible is saying. So we have to read it in those ways when it, when it needs to be read, right? So let's get back to Genesis 2 and we'll jump into Mark 10 again, right? Because in Mark 10, we see Jesus quote. We see him answering the Pharisees, the very thing that we see in Genesis 2. And so Mark 10, let's go there, verses 6 through 7. He says, but from the beginning of creation, he made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus was reminding them now, as he's on the scene, that this was the intention of creation, that the two would come together, that humanity would work together, that men and women would fill and complete a beautiful circle of the way God has created humanity. Now when sin comes in, and we know that's from the fall, that it corrupted that. It corrupted things. And things began to, to get a little crazy. But what Jesus reveals to us in culminating these truths to His disciples and to those who are even trying to tempt Him was that Jesus cared about humanity. If there was a theme that we could say that was Jesus was drawing from in Genesis 2 to bring together in Mark 10 was that He cared about humanity. He cares about men and women. He cares about men and women the same. Society wants to subjugate one or the other or to bash one or the other, but God cares about men and women. And He designed humanity to exist so that it would be a fulfillment and a completion of the totality of what He wanted life to look like. So in that, we know that marriage is an example that is spoken of in Genesis 2 and that Jesus is referencing in Mark 10. And so what we see about this, that the text is revealing us a theme that Jesus cares about marriage as well. He cares about our covenants, our unions. He cares about the things that we uh, commit to. He cares about those things. Now, not everybody's called to this lifestyle. And so Paul himself says, you need to pray. Make sure this is something that God's called you to do. But if you do, hey, this is important. Because this is an expression of how God created these things to be. So God cares about marriage. And it's important because he's not just making it about humanity, men and women. He's not just making it about marriage, but the Bible does something here that oftentimes if you're just reading it, you can be confused about because you're like, why in the world would he, you know, Mark obviously summarizes a lot and, and there's some things that are just kind of jammed together in Mark's gospel. But 
we see in, in the next few verses uh, that it shifts to now being brought to Jesus. And then there's this thing of, well, you know, why are all these kids now all of a sudden on the scene being coming to Jesus? He's just talking about marriage and divorce and, and how it, it, it really played out and why the Old Testament was written the way that it was written and all these things. But then it shifts to children. I think the reason why we see that in there, it's pretty obvious that the narrator is trying to reveal something here. It's not just a random thing. The narrator is trying to reveal the fact that uh, God cares about children. It's why God cares about marriage. It's why God cares about humanity. Because He cares about children. He cares about the, what affects them, what, hurt, what harms them. He cares about those that are entrusted with leading them and training them. Because all of that is part of the harvest. All of that is part of the harvest. And so, let's look at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It says, Now people will bring little children for Him to touch, right? To lay His hands on them to pray for them. But the disciples scolded those who brought them. But when Jesus saw this, He was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to Me and do not try to stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And after he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. You see, this text reveals to us a truth that we see throughout. That God cares about children. And Jesus was doing something intentional here. He was showing his disciples. He was showing those around him that the most important component of our work has to be done with that perspective. What about the children? What about the children? What are we doing to help them? See, Jesus cares about children. He cares about children. Now, if Jesus is the source of the harvest, right, of this yielding, of this blessing in these areas for humanity, for marriage, for children, if Jesus is the source of the harvest, that means I'm a better man when I have Jesus in my life. You're a better woman when you have Jesus in your life. That if you're married, your marriage functions better when Christ is the head of your home. When you let Christ lead and you, and you fall in line and surrender to Him and His work. I'm a better father when I have Christ in my life. I'm a better mentor, I'm a better leader, I'm a better coach if I have Christ in my life. If I don't, then sin continues to destroy the road. If we don't have Christ in our lives, then we just continue to erode as a civilization and become less human, really. Because that's what sin does. It like dehumanizes us. And our marriages are are, are looked at, and those, those unions, those covenants are not looked at with the same kind of uh, effort and energy that they need to be looked at because of sin that's kind of come in and changed things over our societies. And our children, not only do they suffer from the casualties of sinful humanity and brokenness in our world, but they themselves are tempted to, to turn away and to live other lives. Listen, there's one thing that if 
as a, as a man, as a, as a, as a father, as a, as a teacher, as a leader, that I want for my kids and the kids that come to this church is for them to love Jesus and for them to grow up knowing that He loves them and He cares about them. For them to have an understanding that they want to build their lives on Him and not just kind of exist. Because we're seeing an epidemic in our world of children who are, can't cope with life. They can't cope with it. And, and, and there are psychological things that work but there is an overarching issue that every human deals with, that all humanity deals with, and that is sin, and we struggle with that. And so when we let these false ideas come into our minds and we begin to build our lives on that, it's dangerous. And so there's power in us connecting together and walking together as, as one another, coming together and supporting each other in our unions and our covenants, and then agreeing together that God has given us the responsibility to take this truth that we have in our lives and to pass it down to those that come after us. See, Jesus is the harvest. He's the harvest. So how does that work though, right? Because we know that marriage and, and humanity and children, all that stuff makes sense in the context of Genesis 2 and, Psalm, uh, and uh, Mark 10, but what about us as humanity, right? How does it all work out? Because obviously uh, Psalm 8 tells us that we were we were made just a little lower than the angels. Right? Psalm 8 tells us that, right? Let's go there. Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 through 6. It says, Of what importance is the human race that you should notice them? Of what importance is mankind that you should pay attention to them and make them a little less than the heavenly beings? You crowned mankind with honor and majesty. You appoint them to rule over your creation. You have placed everything under their authority. You see, he's speaking prophetically here as to what he had designed for humanity and then what will once again come to pass. See, sin corrupted the whole image and corrupted everything. But Christ came and he changed things and he redeemed us and he made it possible. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews revealed to us, right? So in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, For he did not put the world to come about which we are speaking under the control of angels. You see, Paul says that right now we're wrestling against principalities. Rulers, forces of darkness as the cosmic realm, right? We know that there are forces of evil that are at work in our world. And so the writer to the Hebrews was letting them know the world to come is not going to be controlled by those forces of evil. They will no longer have dominion. Not only has Christ taken over the eternal consequences of sin, but this new world to come is going to be ruled and reigned by Jesus. And we are going to rule with Him for all eternity. And so it's going to be a beautiful thing to think about during that period of time, that, that beautiful imagery. But He's revealing to them. And He starts to break down Psalm 8 when He says, Instead, someone testified somewhere, What is man that you think of Him or the Son of Man that you care for Him? You made Him lower than the angels for a little while. You crowned Him with glory and honor. You put all things under his control. Let's go to the next slide here. It says, For when he put all things under his control, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see all things under his control, right? We can look around the world and we can see that today. That not everything in this world is under his control yet. He has all authority, but he has not come down and exercised that authority yet. So 
there are still forces of evil that are at work. Bad things are still happening. People are still acting inhumanely towards one another. Families are ripped apart. Children are suffering. Sin is still abounding in our world. But there will come a time where that won't be. So it says we don't yet see all the things under His control. But verse 9 says, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death, so that by God's grace He would experience death on behalf of everyone. For it was fitting for Him for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory to make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For indeed, He who makes holy and those being made holy all have the same origin. And so He is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I want you to know that today, you and I may not see how life has been fair to us because sin abounds in our world. But we can see Jesus. We may not be in a place where we can restore. Maybe we can't go back and change things that we've done in terms of relationships we've had or, or in right now. But we can fix our eyes on Jesus. Our children may not uh, be living for the Lord today, but our prayer for them can be that they would see Jesus. That their eyes would be opened and they would see Him and that we would do our part to lead them and guide them. You see, the Lord of the harvest desires for us to be partakers of that. To not just experience it in our lives, but to go and to tell others as well this beautiful message. So how do we do that? Well, we have tools that have been given to us. We have the Bible. We have prayer. We have, we have the fellowship together, right? We see what Acts chapter 2 says, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to uh, the, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We have this union. We have this connection together as we gather and so we're called to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to teach people to pass down these truths so that others would see it. So how do we do that? I think we have to do that by first understanding healthy ways for us to understand the Bible. If God wants to do a work in us so that He can do a work through us, it has to start with us kind of evaluating our hearts a little bit, right? So I think that's what God wants us to do today. So I want you to, this, this last slide we have here is kind of, we started with showing you three uh, areas that the harvest includes. I want to I end with four uh, ways of understanding the Bible. If you're going to understand the Bible and receive the harvest that God has for you in this life and to go and to help spread the kingdom and the message of Jesus, you don't have to be uh, a seminarian. You don't have to understand um, Greek and Hebrew, there are people that do, and so you can, you can, there are tools and resources available. One of the things I got to the point of, of realizing once I got into high-level graduate language studies is that they just tell you how to use digital apps now. <laughs> I was like, I spent all this money trying to learn Hebrew, and you tell me at the end of the class, you know, there's a good app you can use to help you in the future. I'm like, well, I could have just done that anyway, right? So there's so many resources available. You don't have to go to college to learn what the Bible says. But there are people that have gone to school. There have people that, that, that understand what the text says that can help you understand what it means, right? 
So when you think about understanding the Bible, we have to understand the Bible is a library, not a book. Most of the time in the book, we think that uh, it has a systematic, logical, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly structure to it. That if everything goes according to plan, it all all going to work together in that way. But the Bible is a library, a collection of books, a collection of writings that all come together, that they're all inspired, and they all are canon, but they all were written at different times by different people over periods of time. They speak to different things. And so we can't look at it as a book. We have to look at it as a library. A library of 66 books. We also have to understand that the Bible was written for us, not to us. That's why I can't open the Bible and, and, and if I'm going to build theology or I'm going to build doctrine, or I'm going to build a worldview off of something, I can't take it as if it was written to me. I have to understand that it was written for me. So how can I apply it to my life? Now, the Bible is inspiring, right? So I can open it up and I can read something. And, and that can inspire me. And I can think, man, that was written to me. That could be my verse. But we know, realistically, it wasn't written to us. It was written for us. So who was it written to and why, why was it written to him? What was the purpose of passing down these stories and curating these narratives for people to understand? It was God's self-revelation to his people through relationship. It was pointing to Jesus, right? And so when we read the Bible, we should never just read a Bible verse and think that that's going to give us an understanding, right? We can't just open our Bible and, you know, and go, ah, see, I'm right. Because it says it right here. This is, we can't do that. That's not how you're supposed to read the Bible. Now, the Bible's inspiring, and so I can read one verse, and it can encourage me. Because it's, it's an incredible book. A series of books, right? It's an incredible library of resources for us. And so we can read one verse and be encouraged, but that's not how you study the Bible. Because if you do that, then you become a, a potential victim of, of just incorrect understandings of what the Bible's saying. So we have to understand as much as the Old Testament was God's self-revelation to his people through, through relationship and him making himself known to them, that the Bible as a whole is a unified story that points to Jesus. Right? So Genesis 2 talks about male and female. What does Jesus do in Mark 10? Now he's the authority explaining to them what Genesis 2 was all about. Right? That I am the reason. I am the source that brings humanity back together. I am the source that uh, that is going to bring care and, and hope for your children. Right? In Psalm 8 and Hebrews 2, we connect to Jesus being the one that gives us the privilege and the right to be joint heirs with Christ, to be, to be given the privilege to be called the children of God. And so we have that blessing in our lives. It all converges back on Jesus. When you read the Bible, it is a unified story pointing to Jesus. That's what it means. Everything. And so the narrators, are, so when you read stories in the Old Testament about uh, conquest, and you read stories about uh, uh, how the history of, of God's people progressed in all the different wars, those were intentionally written to, 
to reveal to a people the dangers of turning away from God. They were intentionally written to foreshadow that one day a Messiah was going to come. They point to Jesus. And so we have to read them that way. And hopefully that helps us understand that if we're going to be the people of the harvest to go and lead people to Jesus, then we need to, to be able to, to tell them what God's Word says. We need to be able to encourage them that way uh, and lovingly walk through them because what is the... Um, uh, what is that phrase? Um, Hell hath no fury like a verse taken out of context. Something like that, right? Um, like we've all been victims of that before. And so so many people who deal with the trauma of just being in religious organizations is because somebody has taken something that the Bible has said and they've not really understood what it meant. And they've tried to use it to control people. And we have an opportunity to change that. It's not an easy task ahead of us to say, hey, you know, in the past that has been something that people have said, but that's not, that's not, that's not what it says. It's not because we're re rewriting something. We're going back to what the Bible says. Not what has been filtered into it. Um, and that's important. And so I want us to take a few moments and think about what God is revealing to us today. Aiden's going to put on some soft music, and I just want us to think about that today for a few moments. Has there been anything in your life? I know there has because there's been in mine. Times where I have fallen short and missed the mark. Times where I have not been faithful to God like I needed to be, where I've not studied His Word, I've not been humble enough to recognize what He's saying. Can we just take a few moments and just ask God to forgive us for those moments to get our hearts and our minds in a good place. Lord, we confess to You today the things that we've done in this life, Lord, the times where we have messed up, the times where we've missed the mark, God, the times where we haven't been faithful to you, Lord, where we have rejected you, Lord. We have not walked with you, God. Lord, we have maybe upset you with a thought or a word or a deed, God. We've all fallen short of your moral standard. And none of us are worthy, Lord. But we just ask that you continue to be gracious to us, God. Continue to move in us and do what your word says, God, that you in your great mercy You've promised forgiveness to all those who humbly repent and call on You. That You have opened it up, Lord, to pardon and deliver us, to confirm and strengthen us through Your Word. Let us hear the Word of God today to all who truly turn to Him. Come to Me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and deserves of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. He came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. 
He wants to redeem humanity. He wants to redeem our unions. He wants to redeem our covenants. He wants to redeem and protect and nurture our children. And so it's true that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so the blessings that we have as believers, as partakers of this divine nature, is that we not only have the peace of God in our lives that surpasses all understanding, but we can actually go and offer peace, the peace of God to others. That we can be a conduit for God to use to bring peace. You know, there's chaos all over the world. You guys seen what's happening in Israel with the war that's raging there. And let's be real. We've been given a command to pray for the peace of Israel. And God said he would bless those that bless them and he would curse those that curse them. But Israel as a nation doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So we're not, we're not, we're not praying for Israel as if we're saying that Israel is this paragon of, of righteousness in a nation. You can get on the internet and you can see videos that are uncomfortable from both sides. But what we do know is the Bible says that we're supposed to pray for the peace. Jerusalem. And we know that they're God's covenant people and that we've been grafted into that covenant relationship. And so I'd like us to think about that for a moment. The peace that God has offered us. The peace that we can go and bring to those who are hurting, who are blinded, who have been ravaged by sin. We can offer that gift of peace. Can we just do that for a few moments today before we take communion? Can you just, would you be willing to go around and just offer someone the gift of peace? just to greet them in the, in the name of the Lord today for a few moments. Yep, yep, we'll do that. We're just, we're walking around offering peace right now, so it's a good time for an announcement. And so we're going to come back and take communion here before anybody leaves, so don't leave. But thank you, Laura. Yes. Oh, you're fine. I just won't shut up. Yeah. 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 Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, O Lord, and from your own have we given you today. Hallelujah. Lord, it is right in our duty and our joy always and everywhere to give thanks to you. You are the creator 
of heaven and earth. And we have praised your name today and sung with the angels and those in heaven and those around the throne of God, the communion of saints today, with all the company of heaven. We thank you today that we've been given the privilege to sing this hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, in your infinite love, you have made us for yourself. And even when we sinned against you and became subject to evil and death, God, you and your mercy, you sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit, God, and through the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, in obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself for us so that we could be free, so that we could be saved. And by his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling death, hell, and the grave. We are free today because of Jesus. We thank you today for that, that he, as he ascended to your right hand in glory, that we now have been given the privilege to continue to come to the throne of grace boldly and be partakers, God. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he prayed, and after he had prayed and given thanks, he told his disciples, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. He gave thanks to it by saying, Baruch atai Adonai Eloheinu melach haolam borei padre hagafen. And he told his disciples that drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many and for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And as we do it, we proclaim the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of faith. You know what that mystery is? That Christ died, that Christ rose again, but more than anything is that he will come back again. We're not just doing this out of, out of ritual. We're doing this because we recognize that we have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That we have been given the privilege to be partakers. And you know what? The enemy is terrified when men and women of God come to the altar and receive the nourishment of Christ. They walk out of here. He's terrified of them. Because they are, they are literally walking out having received from Christ His own body and blood. And so today we celebrate the memorial of our redemption. God, we celebrated this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. We offer you these gifts. Lord, we pray that you would sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people, the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And sanctify us also, Lord, that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament, God, and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him, and in the fullness of time, put all things under subjection. 
and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom. Lord, we thank you today for that. And as a result, Lord, as we are anxiously waiting to see you face to face, Lord, to be able to look upon you and to see you, God, that all the hours of prayer, all the times of torment, God, where we felt like that no one was with us, to know that you were with us, to see you face to face. Lord, what a beautiful thing to just ponder on, Lord, to, to fix our eyes on you. So, Lord, we are bold to, to pray as Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Amen. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Let us keep the feast. Lord, we don't presume to come down to this, your table, trusting in our own righteousness. Lord, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We're not even worthy to eat the crumbs under your table. But in your abundant love and mercy, you have given them to us. And you offer it to us freely. And so, Lord, may you grant us to continue to do so. And in doing so, God, may we be made clean by his body. May our souls be washed by his most precious blood. That we may evermore dwell with him and he in us. We thank you, God, for this opportunity. We pray that you continue to have mercy on us. Lamb of God, who take away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Grant us your peace today as we come to this table to walk out of here in the authority that you have given us to walk in victory today. My friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. May we take them in remembrance that Christ died for us and feed on him in our hearts with faith and thanksgiving. Blessed is he who is invited to the marriage supper of Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 As the Lord leads you today and as you have heard from Him, can we celebrate together today in partaking of this holy mystery today together of these gifts from the Lord? Would you come today? Hallelujah. Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.